So my name's John, I'm one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills, and we are continuing our series today on the life of a guy named Peter, a very unlikely disciple of Jesus. Now we looked at a whole bunch of stories in his life, and we're going to transition now to a couple of letters that he wrote. So we're going, you know, we've been really when his time with Jesus, his time early on leading the church, now we're focusing on his writing a little bit and to see what we can learn through that and see how this was all influenced from his, his earlier life with Jesus Christ. Peter, remember, was the rock on whom Jesus said the church would be built. He is like the, the foundational leader of the early church that Jesus had called and equipped for this. So Jesus died, rose from the dead, ascended. Uh, then he sent the power of the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost. Uh, the, the believers were empowered then. And they went out and they preached the good news, and the church began to grow radically. I mean, just incredible growth. Thousands of people coming to Jesus right there in Jerusalem. And this was awesome news for most people, but for the Jewish leaders, it wasn't so great news. There was two main reasons. One, remember, the Jewish leaders were the ones who had Jesus arrested. They sent him to Pilate. The Romans really crucified Jesus reluctantly. It was the Jews who were really pushing this. And then they had tried to pay off the soldiers to make this little resurrection story go away, if you remember. And so they did not want to talk about Jesus anymore. They wanted this Jesus thing to be a thing of the past. But, of course, we know it's not a thing of the past. He's alive, he's powerful, he's moving. And so they had this problem. They were trying to make it go away, but it just simply wasn't going away. And, and that was difficult because they were the ones who had Jesus killed. It was also difficult because, um, to explain just a little bit about Roman politics in those days. Remember, the Jewish people, the Israelites, they were not a free nation. They were occupied by Rome. Rome was the superpower of that day. And so the Romans had an interesting policy as it related to uh, foreign religions, uh, Judaism and Christianity being part of that, and that is that they would tolerate certain religions, they would allow them, and Ju Judaism was one of these tolerated religions, but one stipulation is that you were not allowed to spread your faith to Romans. You weren't allowed to try to be out there trying to convert them, right? And so the Jews understood this. They kind of lived in this. But you see the problem for followers of Jesus, right? Because if you remember, Jesus gave us the Great Commission in Matthew 28, and he said this. He said, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So basically, he says, all right, I'm God. Here's the game plan, okay? I'm, I'm going I'm to not be present with you in the same way, but I'm going to empower you, and you're going to go out, and you're going to go everywhere. You're going to go all over the world, and you're going to proclaim this good news because this wasn't just for you. This is for everybody. I didn't give my life just for you, Jewish people. I gave my life for the entire world. And so you're going to go out, and you're going to spread the good news all over the place, and, and you're thinking, wow, this sounds impossible. And you're right, it would be impossible if I didn't empower you by the Holy Spirit to do this. So this is the game plan, right? This is what God sends them out on. And the Jewish leaders, they felt threatened by this because this is in conflict with the way Roman law worked. And at this time, the Romans did not yet distinguish between Jews and Christians. They saw them all as one. 
And so if Christians are going out and violating the law and sharing their faith, the Jews knew that this could reflect badly on them. So there in Jerusalem, they decided to try to stomp this thing out. And they began persecuting Christians. They had Stephen murdered. We might remember Saul, who'd be renamed Paul. He was there kind of supervising over this. And this persecution, this terrible persecution in Jerusalem begins. And uh, author, uh, early Christian author Tertullian would later say that the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. Because what would happen would be the church would then spread out because people were fleeing the persecution and they would go. But the thing is, their lives had been changed. So they didn't go and go underground like, hey, we can't talk about this anymore. It's getting us in trouble. They just said, no, we're going to go tell other people. These folks are hostile, but we're going to go tell others about Jesus. So it actually accelerated the growth of the early church. So in these letters, First and Second Peter, he's writing to people outside of Jerusalem. He's writing to believers, uh, believers who likely would have been predominantly Gentile, maybe some Jewish believers mixed in there as well. And they were living in this Roman Empire that was openly hostile toward them. It didn't share their values. It certainly didn't share their moral practices. And oftentimes was aggressively trying to take them off, take them out. Also, Romans worshipped many gods. Uh, They uh, were often violent towards the powerless. Um, They had very different laws on a variety of things and different moral standards. So the Christians obviously did not fit in to the culture. Peter addresses this, and he says this in 1 Peter 2.9, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, and now you have received God's mercy. Now, this is amazing because, if you, I don't know if you recognize any of these words, but some of them are from the prophet Hosea. He wrote them 850 years before this, and he didn't write them to Christians. He wrote them to Jews, right? And so what Peter's doing is he's taking these words that were for the nation of Israel, and he's applying them to the church. He's applying them to the early followers of Jesus, and this is very significant. They now apply to Jews and Gentiles alike. Why? Because the church is much bigger than one nation. It's not just about one group of people. Jesus died for the sins of the world, the whole world. And so now these promises that apply to Israel apply to the whole church because Jesus has ushered in this new covenant of grace and forgiveness through his death on the cross. And so now the church, we the church, are the new Israel. Jesus had come and he had fulfilled the call that the Israelites had to be set apart, right? He fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the prophets, all of this. And now the church following after him is, is receiving these same promises, these same words as Israel. We are the ones who are now called to be the light of the world, to be set apart. Continues verse 11. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from all worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be very careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Now, this is kind of an odd statement, right? He says you're living as 
foreigners, right? But the people that he was writing to, probably most of them were from the area that they were in at the time. It wasn't that they were geographically foreigners. It'd be almost like me standing here and saying, all right, now friends, remember, we live as foreigners here in Cincinnati. And you'd be like, no, I don't think I do. I am think I was, like, for those of you who are from here, you're like, no, I'm a native Cincinnatian, right? And, you know, I, you, I'm, I, it was very obvious I love me some skyline and La Rosas and graders and Bengals and all these things, right? I am not a foreigner, okay? This is, this is my home. And he's saying, no, you all, in, in the world you live in now, you live as foreigners. You are called to be set apart, to be different, not just to blend in with everybody around you, but to be set apart. Some of you may have the experience of living as a foreigner before, if you lived in another nation or another country or something like that. Um, you know what it's like. Or some of you, you may have uh, immigrated here from another country, and man, we are so glad that you are here. You make our, our community, you make this community so much better, and we're glad, we're glad that you're here. But you know, if you have done this, if you've lived in a country where it's not your native country, you know that there can be lots of just awkwardness because they, the people seem to kind of know how everything works, and you're trying to figure out how everything works. I only got to experience this at a significant level once in my life. I got to be a, a college student. I got to go to Israel for a semester, and we, and we lived there. And so there were a number of us Americans who were students there, and we would get to go out and go around and do all sorts of fun things. But it, we, we stuck out like a sore thumb, right? Like we were very obviously not from there. And some of you have been there. You've done the little travel groups and whatnot. And you're probably aware that when they see Americans, they see people who are pretty gullible and have lots of money to spend, right? And so they would like you to spend their money or your money on their things. That's, that's kind of how it works. And so we, and, and they have a, they, they operate under like a bartering system, right? When they set a price, it's not really the price, it's just the start of the discussion about the price, right? And they hope that when you come in as American, you don't understand that and you just pay the price. But, you know, so, I mean, seriously, they'll often have things that are worth like five bucks and they'll price them at like $40, right? And Americans will come in and be like, well, I'll give you 35 <laughs> And they'll be like, oh, I can't take 35 I mean, my, my mother, my late mother made this as she was dying. And if I, I, there's no way I could take less than 37 right? You know, and like, all right, I'll do it. And you're like, I showed that guy, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he paid $37 for the $5 item. Congratulations. So anyway, we would see this a lot with, uh, with uh, taxis, right? Because when they'd see a group of Americans, they would set a price that was too high, that kind of stuff. And one time I was riding with a friend, and the rule is you always negotiate the price ahead of time, right? And so we had done that, but this taxi driver, he didn't speak great English, and he didn't understand where we wanted to go. And so he took us to a place, and it was not the place, right? And so we're trying to work with him, and we get another taxi driver, and explain, blah, 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 and finally they get understanding, and he gets us to the right place. And then he, he tells us how much it is, and of course the price has gone up significantly, right? And he, he's like, it's going to be 200 shekels or something. We're like, what? That's, that's, that's way too much. We, we can't pay 200 shekels, man. It's not possible. And he's like, no, it's 200 shekels. Well, my friend is in the front, front seat with him, 
and as an American, he pulls out his wallet and he says, sir, I can't pay you 200 shekels. Look, I only have 150. You know what happens next, right? He goes, okay, that will work. (laughs) And that was it, right? We didn't know what we were doing. We were foreigners in a, in a different culture, and we oftentimes, things didn't work as great because we, we, we were different. We were set apart, but not always in a good way. And so set apart, it, it can be a, a bad thing like that, or it can be kind of an awkward thing like this family here. You'll see somebody who's set apart, I think, and that's, you know, that's another way of being set apart, but that's not what Peter's talking about. He's not talking about being awkwardly set apart. He's not talking about being ignorantly set apart as we were. He's talking about being set apart in the way that you live your life. He's talking about living like foreigners because we're, our, call, our call to holiness is not native to people here on earth anymore. You see, here on earth... We, we know that Adam and Eve, they brought in sin, right? And so people, that's kind of our default setting now. So when God calls us to holiness, we're going to live and we're going to look different than what the rest of the world looks like. In, you know, like I said, in the next service here, we're going to have people who, as they go into this pool here, they're going to say, I love Jesus. I want to live for Jesus. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. And it may not always be popular. It may not always be the thing that everybody in the rest of the world would have me to do, but I'm going to do it because it's what Jesus calls me to do. And that's what Peter's challenge is. It gets even greater in verse 15. He says, now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. Wow, now that's tough. Not just like some things, right? He says it challenges us to be holy in everything. Why would we live this way? Well, verse 16, the the scriptures say, you must be holy because I, because God, am holy. Or as the message translates it, as obedient children, let uh, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I'm holy, you be holy. I like that. And a life energetic and blazing with holiness. Like when people see you, it gets their attention. They see that something is different, that this person is set apart. They're living differently than what we'd expect. They, they handle situations with more grace and kindness and generosity than we'd, we'd expect. When people are rude to them or mean to them, they respond in ways that are more gracious than what we'd expect. They're set apart. They're different. What's up with these people? What, why do they live this way? They, they, they seem like a, like a foreigner in our land. They operate differently than what we operate. And notice what the standard is. The standard of holiness is not just being a little better than somebody else. The standard of holiness is not just like looking at your neighbor who's a generally good guy and saying, well, I'll try to be a little better than him. Or it's not looking at your cousin who says dumb stuff at Thanksgiving and be like, oh, I'm a lot better than him. That's not it. It's not just a comparison to that. The model is God. He says, I'm holy, so you be holy. And we're like, that's really tough. That's a really high standard. Naturally, this is impossible without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
Without the power of the Holy Spirit, this just becomes like a legalism thing that we're always frustrated and failing in. But he calls us to something so much more than that. As we walk more and more into the power of the Spirit in our life, as we walk by, by, by God's strength, not by our own, we find ourselves growing little by little to look more and more like Jesus. And there's going to be seasons where we grow a lot. And there's going to be seasons where we have some challenge and we really got to press into the Lord and say, Lord, I need you. I need you to help me grow because you called me to be set apart. You called me to be different. And I want to do that. I want to be faithful, but it's really tough. It's really tough. It's a lifelong process of growth. The problem is, though, that for many of us, if we're honest, we don't want to be set apart. If we're really gut level honest, this talk about being set apart is like, eh, I don't know. I kind of like the blend in with the society thing a little better. Why, why don't we like let, you know, let the pastors and church staff, let them kind of take care of that stuff. But I, I don't know, being set apart, because early on in life we learn that being different is not always a good thing. Sometimes being different gets you mocked or criticized, that oftentimes just conformity is better than standing out. There's a story written by C.E. Montague. He wrote a, uh, in a novel he wrote called Rough Justice. It describes this little boy named Bron, and Bron, uh, this is going back many, many, many years, Bron was going to church for the very first time. And uh, he, he went to this, uh, this great, you know, this uh, like cathedral-style church, right, amazing building. And it had one of those pulpits that was up like really, really high so the pastor could like look down on everybody, right, you know, that kind of thing. And um, he's there, and he's just intrigued by all of it, the sights, the smells, the candles, all this kind of stuff. Well, then the pastor gets up, and he tells this story that little Braun had never heard before in his life. He tells this story about this, this man who came, and he was a, a, a really good man. And he came, and, and he lived, but then this awful, unjust tragedy happened. That the people, they, they, didn't, they didn't appreciate this man. In fact, they even arrested him, and they beat him up, and they killed him. And that, that but yet this man, he somehow, he, he rose from the dead, and now he wants the people there today, he wants the people there today to do something. He wants them to, to be different because when they're not different, it, it, it's like it hurts this man because he came so they could be different. And if they're not living differently, it's, it's like wasting this awful experience that the man went through. And so little Bron is sitting there and he's like on the edge of his pew and he just can't believe what he's hearing. That, that this actually happened and, and that, that this man, he, he really wants us to do this thing today. And he's looking around the room and he's just waiting for somebody to do something. Surely somebody's going to respond to this. Surely this matters. Surely they, they feel this, this pain for this man and they feel this desire to do the good things this man wants them to do. And, and little Bron sits there and nothing happens. The people don't even seem to be impacted by the story. They just kind of sit there. And then the service gets up, and they just get up, and they quietly leave. And little Bron begins to cry. And, and he's so heartbroken by this. And, and the person who had brought him, it was his tutor who had brought him that day, looks down at him and says, Bron, don't take it to heart. Somebody will think that you're 
different. But you're different. And we easily get into this because we know the story. And we know God's call. And we know what God wants for us. But we also know that in this world, it's difficult to be different. And so we decide that it would be better if we could just just kind of fit in and, and, and not worry so much about this holiness business, but let's just kind of go with the flow that the world has for us. And you know, there's, obviously there's levels of this that could be taken badly. Like for example, if we, if we said we want to go to an extreme and have like a holier than thou attitude, we know that that's bad, right? We're not to be judgmental, condemning of everybody around us, living for our own glory. That's not what holiness is about. In fact, holiness is like the opposite of that. It's not for me, it's, it's for the Lord. It's living my life in a way that honors the Lord, that, that serves Him, not in a way that promotes myself or something like that. We're not just talking about that kind of being set apart. Uh, but God calls us to be a people set apart for His glory, for His power, for His strength. Jesus said it in Matthew 5.16. He said this, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Our lives are, are the example. Our lives are the example that we now are this like city on a hill, right? That we are the ones that when people see us, they should see the goodness of God. They should see the love of God. They should see that this is what it means to follow Jesus. And, and no, we're not perfect. We understand that. We're all in a process of growth. But that when people see us, that they would see our God, our good works, and that they would glorify our Father in heaven. Not that they would glorify us, but they would glorify our Father in heaven. And see, so, and that's what it means to be this, this city on a hill. It's as we each live this out in holiness, it's transformative to the world around us. You see, it's not, this is not something that, that we do for us. It's something that we show to the rest of the world. Jesus came here with a very different kind of plan than what the rest of the world has. He calls us to live holy lives, set apart, so that when people see us, they will glorify God. And it makes sense. We see enough evil in the world that it's very easy to get cynical about people and cynical about, about stuff. And when you see someone living differently, when you see a life that's set apart, it catches your attention. It makes you think. It can make you even wonder, like, what's going on? Why is it that they would do that? This weekend, as we give thanks to God for our veterans, we've got just a, a couple images here. This is one of a soldier who's helping to uh, evacuate children in a, in a faraway land, right? And, and we see images like this, or we see this next image of a soldier giving a little boy a drink, right? That literally Jesus says, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Whenever you did this for the least of one of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it for me. And these are simple examples. But when we see things like this, it touches our heart, right? Because we say, oh, thank God. Thank God for people who do that kind of thing. For people in a really tough environment, in a scary environment, and who make a lot of sacrifices and, and, and they, they're, they're tough and all this stuff when they also are so loving and caring. What, what a great thing. 
Like those, those, those images, they touch our hearts. Now what if for you and I, our lives were lived in that kind of way, that when people see us, they say, there's something different. There's something different about the way that they live. There's something different about the way they spend their money. There's something different about the way that they act when people aren't really kind to them. There's something different about the way that they are when they're tired or angry or hungry or all the things that really upset us. They respond differently. They're not flawless, but there's something different. What is it? What is it that does this? And it opens the door for us to say, you know what? I, trust me, it's not me. It's, it's Jesus has changed my life. Because I, I've, I've done a lot of dumb stuff in my life, and I don't always get this right. But on my best days, when, when I'm really living for Jesus, it, it's just like a, a small version of what, what God, how much God loves you and God cares about you. And I just, he's changed my life. And so I just want to live for him. That's what I'm so passionate about. That's what it means to be the light of the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Not for our own glory, but for the Lord's glory. And sometimes, Christians, we get this wrong in a couple ways. One, we could, we could just be trying to blend in with the world. And sometimes we want to, like, slowly adapt and kind of dumb down Christian teaching to where it's really kind of the same as what the rest of the world believes on most stuff. And, and we don't really want to be set apart there. We just want to adapt because that's easier. It's more popular. The world's standards are, are you know, the world's standards are different than the Bible. So we want to just kind of adapt the Bibles down. We can't do that. We can't do that because it's God's word. It's not ours to edit, right? It's, it's God's word, it's, and it's God's creation. This is how God made us to be. And God knows that these ways are the best ways for us to live. So he calls us to something better than that. We can also go to the other extreme, and, and we can try to, to legally enforce Christian morality upon everybody. And of course, that becomes problematic because Jesus gives us and everyone the free will to choose him, to decide to follow him, right? I mean, you don't want to live according to Muslim standards because you're not a Muslim. And it shouldn't shock you when the rest of the world doesn't want to live according to Christian laws, if you will, uh, because they're not Christians. It's different than those things, see? Our laws help a society function properly. That's the purpose of laws. And sometimes those laws will reflect our faith, like, you know, um, thou shalt not steal. That's a good one. We don't want people to be stealing. That harms society, right? But if you expect the laws of the land to make it easier to be a follower of Jesus, friend, you're going to be disappointed, okay? Because we live in a world that's a fallen world. It's, it's not a world that is, that is always all of them are trying to live for Jesus. And we are called to be set apart, to be different. And our lives are to be this light, the, this, this city on a hill, this shining light, so that other people can see the goodness of God. It's... And, and I know that for many of us, we can remember back in a time where in our country it was easier to live out Christian morality because it was more the default. And maybe TV was more the way we liked it or things were closed on Sunday, right? Or things are, you know, with sales of alcohol or all these kind of things, right? We remember and we're like, oh man, those were the glory days. We missed those. Well, if you ask Peter or the early disciples, they would say, 
oh, that's crazy. (laughs) We lived in the Roman world that was absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing like the way that God calls us to live. And that's how we were set apart. That's how we stood out because as we followed Jesus, people saw it. And they saw our good works and they said, there must be a God. There must be a God. Because why would people live like that? Why would they be so kind? Why would they be so gracious? Why is it when people abuse them that they're not mean back to them, but instead they're loving and caring? That just doesn't make sense. There's something with these people, so much that they would even give their lives. That's the extreme they would go to. They knew they were called to be so set apart. They would do it even if it cost them their very lives. And so if we expect our world to always make it easy for us to be Christians, you're going to be disappointed, okay? But that's not what God called us to. He called us to be holy because He is holy. That's the only standard. He is holy. And so I want to be holy too because I want to live like Jesus. I want to be the way that He's calling me to be. Friends, what is right is not always popular, and what's popular is not always right. Jesus is going to call you to live in ways that are countercultural. Sometimes it will be challenging, but you can do it because it's his call, because it's his power. So let's do that. Let's get busy and do that. Let's, instead of, you know, it'd be, it's really easy to sit around and complain that the world isn't the way that we want it to be. But I think a better approach would be to really focus on how can we each live lives that are faithful to the call of Jesus. For ex- let me just give you a couple examples of how you can do this. Are you concerned about the unborn and about women who are dealing with the challenge of an unplanned pregnancy? Great. Email embracegrace at andersonhills.org. This is a ministry we have exactly for this purpose, to, to love on women who are in this situation and to help them uh, as, they, as they go through the experience of pregnancy, of uh, being a parent, all these kinds of things, and to show them Jesus. I, I don't know a better thing that we could do for people who are in that position. So if, if, if you're mad about the election, well, do something. Do this right? Or if you're mad about what was issue two, right? If you're mad about that, right? That like, well, now we've got, you know, easier access to drugs. Great. Well, guess what? We've got Celebrate Recovery, right? And there we help people each week in a week in, week out who are dealing with this. That's why we're here, friends. We're called to be set apart. Do you see the challenges of, of racism in our society? Well, then, then come to a common grounds meeting. I don't have a slide about that, but that's a, that's a great uh, group that we have that discusses these things and how we can be more active in our world uh, to, to bring about more justice and more equality. Do you see uh, the hungry and, does the, you know, and God places a burden on your heart for those who don't have enough food? Great. Serve in the Bob Drew Garden next year. They just shut it down for the year. But next year, did you know we almost doubled what we put out this previous year, right? Uh, and, and next year you can serve there, or you can serve at one of our local food pantries. Because, friends, this is what followers of Jesus do. We are people who are called to be holy as He is holy. We're called to be this light of the world, this city on a hill. And when we do that, I believe that God blesses it and He uses it. So, God, won't you use us? Won't you use us to be a people who looks different than the rest of the world? 
a people who doesn't just live the same as everybody else, but a people who is holy as you are holy. Would you use us as a church to be one of your, your many, many ways that your light shines into this world? Would you use us to transform uh, this area here around Anderson and Cincinnati and around the world, God? Would you empower us, God, to, to make a difference by your strength, by your power? God, forgive us for the times where we try to outsource this to somebody else. God, you call us to be holy, and we want to be holy. We want to live lives that are transformed by your grace and your power and your love. God, we love you so much, and we pray all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.